Welcome to another episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and today I've got Solly Polk along with Andy Dolich, and the two have gone way back, as Andy noted uh, in our last episode. He wasn't exactly sure what way back meant, but um, Solly has a lot of experience in the college athletics industry. We're, we're really looking forward to diving into uh, some of the current topics and then some of his past experiences, what we can learn from them. And then uh, we will uh, look to expand upon our California streak of, of uh, fellow podcasters as I think Sally is number four in a row. And next week we will have Deedon Brozino, Chief Development Officer from the Rose Bowl on. So continuing the West Coast style, Andy, why don't you uh, introduce Sally here? <laughs> So, Sally and I met last Thursday for the first time. Luckily, <laughs> in all of these conversations that we've had, and, and that's what it is. It's a conversation. It's storytelling about the business of sports, which, uh, ironically, perfect segue. You know, we got the first ever international NBA championship between Canada and the United States, Toronto and, and Oakland. Um, Solly has seen uh, the maturation of lots of different businesses. He's been in the Bay Area. Now he's moved to other parts of the country and sees it in a bit of a different light. What we like to do, Solly, is have each of our guests give a general roadmap uh, lasting less than 45 minutes about, uh, you know, their days early in their life when they or their parents said, excuse me, young man, what, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And started thinking about what they might do and what they ended up doing. And in your case, uh, you know, as you keep moving up the ladder of decision making in the business of collegiate sports and college in general, it would be very informational if you could take the listeners into a bit of the Solly story. Sure. Um, so I'm going to go way back because I think it all <laughs> tie together um, and, and give a little bit of a roadmap on this and, and how I'm sitting in Walnut Creek, California today. But uh, and I'll keep it less than 45 minutes. Um, <laughs> so. I was born and raised in Kodiak, Alaska, and Andy, you can appreciate that being the, the fisherman that you are. And um, as a little boy in a commercial fishing town, my only aspiration was to own a fishing boat uh, because anyone in Kodiak who was a big deal owned a fishing boat, and, uh, and that left an impression on me. But my mother, uh, who was an educator of all six Fulps, um, I was the oldest of six, said you can be a fisherman but you gotta you gotta go get your college degree and uh my father was kind of the parks and recreation director uh of the town and the so to speak town athletic director um for that community and so all six of us were raised in an athletic environment on the wrestling mats in the gyms on the fields helping him organize events and it just was kind of in our dna um, to be around sports and to participate in sports and see the value of how these events were put together. Um, so fortunately, I listened to my mother um, and I went to University of Oregon. I wrestled for the Fighting Ducks and uh, 
had just a phenomenal experience, right? I, I, I matured from a boy to a young man and, and learned the trials and tribulations of competing in college athletics and, and what that all meant and made great friends and eventually met my wife. And, and so that, that four years of experience that I had uh, really meant a lot to me in, in a lot of different ways. Um, however, I had no clue what I wanted to do. So I enjoyed socializing a ton at university of Oregon in, uh, frequenting the, uh, the local oh, bars. Oh, it was known for that. Oh yeah. I guess I, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I experienced university of Oregon to its fullest in a lot of different ways, so to speak. And, and I told, you know, one of my oldest, who's about to go to Texas A&M, how um, I had no thought process or clue on what I was going to do after college, right? And uh, I remember passing my Spanish exam uh, barely, and then walking out onto the campus and sitting on a bench and going, what do I do now? And had put zero thought to my life after graduation, graduating from Oregon. Um, so I, Holly, I'm, let me interrupt. I'm yeah. curious during your time. I mean, the Warsaw program was already up and running. Did you have any knowledge of what was I, going on on campus at that time? Andy, I'm not sure it was, and I could be wrong on that in 94 is when I graduated. So I don't think it had started up or if it did start, it was in its infancy yeah, and I'll I didn't have to go back into the annals. But it could be right that it was just getting started. It was just getting started, yeah. Programs in the country. And to that point, um, I think part of the challenge I had is I was so programmed out um, in competing as a student athlete and barely getting by in academics and and doing some other things that I really didn't forecast what was to come. and so I'm making sure that obviously doesn't happen with my own kids and, and others that, that come and talk to me. Uh, but that said, I started in sales, sold title insurance in Sacramento, um, had success, but I wasn't passionate about it, right? And kept gravitating back to sports and how I grew up and what was important to me and my, and my values. And, and when you do something you're not passionate about, the, the good thing, it makes you reflect on, on what you are passionate about. And um, my wife suggested that, you know, why don't you get into college athletics? You know, that's really important to you. You talk about it all the time. And, and she encouraged me to just walk on to Sacramento State's campus, which I, I fortunately I listened to her. And, and I did. And I saw a job posting for events manager. Um, I think it was for like Um, And at that time, it was at the birth of the internet, uh, job postings were still posted uh, on job boards on college campuses. And so I saw it, fortunately, and I I met with the athletic director to inquire a little bit more. And um, we hit it off and she hired me in 1996 as the event manager. And then from there, um, I spent the next seven years working my way up in a bunch of different capacities 
uh, or positions at Sacramento State, from events manager to marketing director to associate AD of external affairs. And the beautiful thing about working at the one AA level in college athletics, it is the equivalent of minor league baseball, where every day you have to demonstrate a ton of initiative, think outside your job description, help others around you. And if you do that, good things come in a lot of different ways. And, and I was promoted and, uh, and just had a great experience, right? And so learned a lot. And from there, went to uh, UC Berkeley, and the timing was really good because uh, Jeff Tedford just started uh, as a head coach there in 2003 and was winning football games, and it had been a while since the Cal Golden Bears had won uh, in Memorial Stadium. And I walked in as the assistant uh, athletics director of corporate partnerships and um, quickly became a brilliant salesperson because football was winning. And so part of the, this story is just being in the right place at the right time. And uh, we grew revenue and uh, had a lot of success. And, and then from there, Ben Sutton came in from ISP and uh, uh, made the proposal of uh, taking the multimedia rights, um, outsourcing them to Sandy Barber and I, and I, and that was in 2005. And I didn't have any idea what that meant. Um, multimedia rights and outsourcing was relatively a new business and universities were just starting to do it. Um, and Ben proposed, Hey, why don't you come work for me and run the UC Berkeley sponsorship business? And, and, uh, Fortunately, I made that decision and, and again, uh, learned a ton and worked for ISP slash IMG College uh, for the next seven years in, in different roles and um, managed our West Coast business, which uh, included seven Pac-12 universities and the Rose Bowl. And again, learned a ton on how Washington State did their business versus Arizona State and Arizona um, and UCLA and, and made a lot of different contacts. And then in 2011, I came back uh, internally with the athletics department as a deputy uh, director of athletics and worked for Sandy Barber uh, from 2011 to 2015 and uh, managed uh, seven different sports in different capacities and um as well as our external relations and business and, and capital projects. And again, a ton of great experiences. Transitioned in 2015 um, to the administration side for UC Berkeley and started up uh, university-wide campus partnerships, uh, which we'll probably talk about in a little bit uh, more detail as far as uh, what that means. And, and worked three years for the university uh, in that capacity, and then moved over to Learfield IMG College uh, in 2017 to lead our Campus Plus division, which uh, builds off our existing multimedia rights in putting campus-wide partnerships together. Um, and that is the division that I work in now. I also handle our naming rights for Learfield IMG College um, and our NCAA business. 
So that's uh, that's how many years, Solly, if you add them all up? Oh, since 96, a little under 20, right? Yeah. Um, so a, a few things just hit um, into my hard skull. Uh, <laughs> the Oregon Sports Management Program, 93-94 when it launched, because I'm hitting myself in the head, right? They just celebrated 25 years. I'm not much on mass. Um, so it hadn't developed its major national uh, respect level at that time. Number two, if Solly had stayed in Alaska, he would be a TV star on the deadliest catch. I don't know. <laughs> his, I don't know what his boat would have been named, but he would be, he would be winning. I can tell you that. And I would be begging to go out because as we know, Solly isn't uh, fishing in Alaska, like the most dangerous thing you can do as a real job other than climbing Mount Everest, I guess, Wait, but you, you joke, you joke about that, Andy, but I, so to put myself through college, uh, I commercial fished for seven years, seven summers, and nothing will motivate you to go get a career outside of the fishing, uh, industry than being in, uh, gale winds and, and, right. and fishing, uh, in, in those, uh, in that, uh, challenging weather that Alaska often provides, but uh, no, I did that for seven years. Very proud of it. You learn a lot out on a boat, and uh, yeah, and this, all this about one of work and having other people's lives in your hands, right. where you make one mistake and you can't bring it back again. Um, so, as I was listening to you, Jake, and I'm thinking we should sort of uh, create. Um, a time bank of all the interviewees that we've had so far, all of our guests, because I'm guessing, and I say this in a positive, if you added up all of their years of experience, Thousands. it's well, it's definitely, I'm thinking over 750, maybe over a thousand. And if you just listen to Solly as he moved from, you know, a, a fisherman to a hornet to a bear, a golden bear, Right, Stack State, the Hornets. Am I right? Yeah, they are. Well done. Okay. So, in all of those years, as you've talked about it, and and a large part of what we're doing is trying to educate people that are listening who have careers and those that don't want to fish in Alaska or um, basically wait tables or do whatever they might do as humdrum. Is there are there one or two examples that sit with you in terms of what you learned during all of these stops that you think is the most valuable to pass on to others. And I know you talk to many people who are interested in the industry because I send many of them to you and vice versa. Yeah. I, you know, as, as I'm listening to your question, I, I think there's a couple things, right. That is, as I reflect that are really that were really important to me right and that i try to impress when i meet um young people that are coming out of college and and really passionate about sports and and want to make it a career i i would say um you know taking the mentality that nothing's below you and nothing's above you right and 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 willing to uh do anything that uh 
that you see as an opportunity, you know, demonstrating a ton of initiative and um, not being, you know, not waiting to be told what to do. And, it, and it's funny that we're talking through this, right? So I learned quickly on the fishing boats in Alaska. And I remember my dad driving me down to the dock and saying, uh, and I was a greenhorn, right? About to step onto a boat with three men and go out and fish in the Alaska waters for four months with them, right? Three dudes that had beards that I had no idea who they were, where they came from. And I remember, and I was terrified and he drove me down to the dock and my dad, you know, basically said, make sure you're always busy that even if you don't know what you're doing, keep rope in your hand and don't be asked to be told what to do. Right. And, and so I was always hustling, right? I was always pulling the anchor. I was cooking. I was doing, you know, coiling rope. I was, you know, pulling the leads, doing whatever I could to add value on that fishing boat. And when I went to Sacramento State, I applied that same work ethic and hustle and initiative as the events manager. And I remember Judith Davidson was our athletic director and I was the events manager, you know, 26 years old, setting up tables and, and uh, you know, trying to make the event for a Hornet football game as attractive as it possibly could be, uh, you know, in the Causeway Classic and all that and had a ton of fun doing that. Um, but I noticed that we really we had outsourced our sponsorship rights to a local agency up in Sacramento and they weren't you know, there was just only about three or four banners there in. I, I noticed that and I went to Judith and I said, you know, can I uh, take this on? Can I try selling sponsorships? And she said, you know what? Um, why don't you put a plan together and show me how you're going to do that? And so I drafted a business plan and presented it to her and said, if you let me do this over the next 90 days, this is what I'll do. Right. And I proposed to her that I'd sell, I think, 10 sponsorships and. Um, that I would activate it. And I met with the Sacramento Kings and, and I met with, uh, um, you know, some, some people in the community that gave me a little guidance on how to put this together where she would give me a chance. And so she gave me a 90, 90 day trial period. And fortunately, um, I was, I had success and it was all back to your question, Andy. It was all about that fundamental approach of having hustle and showing initiative. And that also, that also underlined that these people that you didn't know could move to trust you, which is incredibly important in any business, but maybe that much more important when literally your life depends on the other people on the boat. Yeah. And if there's, no, and if there's no trust, you know, there's hypothermia pretty quickly. Now, Jake, you, you, you moved from Purdue to, Pont to Ponte Vedra, which I don't think a lot of people make that move. You probably didn't have to pull an anchor at the Island Green, I'm just guessing, when you got there. But <laughs> no. as, as you were listening to Solly and your time at Purdue, what, what jumped into your mind as you were listening to, to him talk about the necessities and your experiences, you know, more than mine, I spent some time. And it's when I got to know Solly when I was at IMG as a consultant, but you did it every day just as Solly does. So I'd be interested in, you know, an interplay between you two guys. 
Well, it, it was one of those things, Andy, to your point, uh, when Solly was talking about trust, right, as, as in the model um, of Learfield IMG College where you're, you know, you're working with the athletic department and trying to create relationships internally, you know, to get people to um, trust you with, with what you're doing and the sponsorships and, and knowing, knowing the model and how it's all set up. But then you're also getting the, the partners that you have on board. I mean, we had 130 partners to where you've got to get 130 plus people to trust that you're going to you know, provide a return on investment for them. And, and there's relationships that develop over, over time. So when Solly said 90 day trial and he was going to get 10 sponsorships, uh, my guess is he didn't know then what he knows now, but, um, you know, I think one, one of the, the aspects of, you know, doing kind of anything and everything is that you get to learn from every single experience you have and whether it's a simple task or a more complex task, or you're dealing with, you know, the, the usher in the stands or the CEO of a company, I think you, you can, as long as you have the open mindset, you can learn from every experience you have, no matter what. Solly, am I right on that? It, it, you, absolutely, Jake. I, you know, it's interesting. Um, I also learned the value, and it ties into what you're saying, as far as uh, those learning experiences and having the humility to ask for help, right? And um, I, I was raised in an environment with my dad being a wrestling coach where your, uh, your strength is self-resilience and doing, finding your own way and getting it figured out. Right. And, uh, there's a lot of value to that, but as I was kind of searching and floundering after college from, you know, trying to figure out what my passion was, um, I had to start asking people for help. Right. And, and, and opening up and saying, I'm, I don't have anything figured out. And I had people like Warren Smith, who was one of the owners and founders of the River Cats, who took me under his wing. Um, Mike Creature, uh, he was with the uh, Fred Anderson's football team up there, uh, Andy, uh, in Sacramento. Um, and he, you know, it was people like that, that that gave me guidance to put this plan together for Judith Davidson and saying, this is what you should do. And, and I, I learned the value very quickly that if you have people that take ownership of your success, um, the process uh, quickly becomes a lot easier, if that makes sense. And I think one of, the, one of the great challenges today at every level of sports is the level of intellect, multitask capability, work ethic is stronger than ever before. There are more quality men and women coming into the industry than ever. One essential element that I see that's missing in some of the people is I can do this myself. I'm a multitask marvel. I don't need anybody's help. I'm actually a bit more intelligent than you are. So just leave me alone. And in many instances, those individuals crash and burn pretty quickly because as, as hokey as it might sound, it's teamwork. Yep. Even though we are all sort of behind the scenes and people are still paying to see great athletes in multiple sports do their thing, whether it's amateur or pro, 
But those that think they have all the answers, they don't. Um, and you don't have to look any further than, you know, Pascal Siakam last night. How many people said, oh, yeah, I will predict that Pascal Siakam will go off <laughs> and Toronto will smash the Warriors in game one. Like, no, what are you talking about? And that's what makes it so wonderful because we just don't know how it's going to end. Well, Andy, it all, it all goes back to people. I know we've talked about it in uh, multiple episodes, but Solly, I want, I want to ask, as you, you know, arrived at Learfield IMG College with, you know, years and years of experience under your belt in the college athletics world, but yet looking at a team and, and building it from scratch to some extent, right? And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, but looking at a totally new division of, the business model and, and trying to figure out how it's going to work. Um, you know, the, the creativity behind that, you know, from, from an idea and, um, you know, creation standpoint, it, it obviously has to be there, but you got to have people around you that are bigger, better, and smarter than you, you know, ultimately to, to propel the engine. Right. Absolutely. Always. Um, you know, listening to Andy talk a little bit about, uh, the people we encounter um, that do have it all figured out and and to your point, Andy, there's a lot of people that are really, really smart out there now and the talent level in the sports business industry um, is attracting some, you know, the best and the brightest. Um, But just listening to your description and I know some of these people and have encountered uh, them, the likability is low. Incidentally, for our listeners, we're going to identify every one of those people. On the <laughs> I just wanted you to, so tune in every week. And yeah, listen to we'll us. start. We'll start dropping names. Yeah, uh, okay, Sorry. but but the likability is low when you encounter those people because it doesn't invoke teamwork and and uh, camaraderie and alignment and um, to do really big things. To your point, Jake, you you have to have. It's a, an entire team. If you're going to land a naming rights deal, it's not one person pulling that big whale in or catching that fish, right, to keep with our fishing theme here. It's it's an entire team that puts together a naming rights uh, partnership. And as, you know, my responsibilities now rely on campus-wide partnerships in building off our multimedia rights agreements and putting together university partnerships that usually have six to ten different stakeholders on campus um, that get really complex in the deal making you have to have a lot of people aligned with you that are uh, part of the ownership process and the architecture of these agreements and you know, I can't claim that I put that uh, the Bank of the West UC Berkeley uh, partnership together that ended up being campus wide. That was a team of 10 plus people and all of them were leaders in that process to put that together. And to your point, Jake, we're all much smarter in different ways to make that deal happen. But no one does it by themselves anymore if you want to accomplish anything significant. Sally, I want to just go back for a second, you know, where you talked about campus wide and we were talking about that years ago at IMG and people were talking about that before. 
if you could, we don't want to take anything for granted again from the listeners and others. It used to be um, that the athletic department was that front door for many universities from a sponsorship standpoint, being out there, being proactive. Can you just give people a bit more definition of what you see changing now and what the difference is between the athletic department driving deals and a campus-wide type deal? Yeah, so there's a dynamic that's uh, in higher education right now where there's a decline in state funding, not just in California, but all the way to Alabama and Florida and up to, to Connecticut and it's, it's throughout the entire country, right? So you've got this epidemic of decline in state funding for higher education. Traditional philanthropy has hit ceilings, right? So your university donors, um, you know, about 10% are, are do- donating 90% of uh, the gifts at virtually every university across the country. Um, all the university leaders understand that they cannot sustain excellence by cutting budgets and they need to unlock new partnerships. Right. And, uh, and that's in revenue and services. Uh, so these universities re- are realizing that they're under leveraged in uh, corp- the corporate partnership area. Um, and there's also a dynamic where brands are expressing stronger interest in having deeper engagement on these universities outside of athletics, right? They very much value the exposure they're getting in the football and basketball facilities on these college campuses, but they also want to have direct business opportunities with the campuses. They want to hire the students. They want to have stronger brand placement on these campuses Monday through Friday while these students are going to class and living because they understand that these students are going to be uh, decision makers in, in, um, as they, they graduate. There's a cradle-to-grave aspect on, on brand um, affinity that they understand. You know, the beverage companies, Coke and Pepsi, have made a living off this for a long time. But you're starting to see it with the Wells Fargo's and the AT&T's and other companies, you know, are expressing interest in different ways to get on these campuses. The front door still is athletics in a, in, in a lot of ways. Right. So that's why the synergy of Learfield IMG College and Campus Plus makes a lot of sense. Um, but out of our 200 universities, I would say we're engaged deeply right now with 30 um, that really are prioritizing having um, deeper engagement outside of athletics and where we can add to that value. And what I described is these corporate partnerships that extend athletics and the rest of the campus with select business categories. So we're getting very focused, having a lot of success with banking and credit union, uh, communications with AT&T um, and some other verticals where we're coming in and and starting to uh, put these partnerships together. And it's, it's wonderful as using that example, and you both see it and have seen it, where the athletic department, you know, the football stadium, the baseball stadium, basketball, that's where the revenue is coming from, even for schools that have, you know, 25 or more sports on the men's and women's side. And the focus on, okay, we need to do the soft drink deal. We need to do the food deals. We need to do the car deals for the coaches and 
flying the team around. And then somebody, you know, you don't have to be a Nobel Prize winner, says, excuse me, I have a question. On our campus of 40,000 students, our demographic are people that eat, right? I Meaning the students. And they <laughs> eat 24-7, 365. They eat when people are sleeping. So wouldn't we be better off looking at that demo, people that eat all the time, as opposed to eight football games, 20 basketball games, or 30 baseball games? And it just goes to show that even though it's simple, it's taken decades for many schools to realize it. It, It's also challenging for these companies to navigate these college campuses, right? So universities are very siloed in nature, right? So when I was working on our banking efforts at UC Berkeley, it had a Game of Thrones vibe to it, right? I mean, we we had... The wheel, right? The EBITDA, yeah. famous EBITDA wheel. <laughs> I mean, these silos were fortified castles, right? And And you were, I felt like I was going around knocking on drawbridges saying, hey, if you engage in this banking initiative, one plus one can equal five if we all work together and and take this university first approach. That takes a lot of trust. Um, Many of these divisions on these campuses have their own individual relationships. They've been doing business on their own way for a long time, and they don't want to be told that they have to look at you know, the greater interests of a university. Um, and especially when budgets are being cut, people go into self-preservation mode. And that, mm-hmm. you know, that creates the the moats around these silos even more, right? And so... Especially when you add in many of these institutions are basically have to get sign off from governments, that's from right. state governments. That's right. Um, and that's a quick process. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> So the endurance there to have these partnerships put together takes a lot of political equity. It takes vision from the top. Um, and you have to have a chancellor or a president that says, you know what? I know we've done business a certain way for the last 75 years. But for us to sustain excellence and really have a future uh, that doesn't rely on tuition and fees, Every year, we're going to do business differently on this campus, and we're going to leverage our purchasing power, or we're going to leverage uh, very discreetly the value of our student body um, with certain brands and and make sure that we're uh, capturing the value of our university outside of six or seven home football games and 15 men's basketball games. And that's where we're coming in bringing brands that have that interest to be embedded on these campuses the right way. So it doesn't feel like a NASCAR experience and working with university administrators that have that vision. And uh, I would say, you know, to your point, Andy, we've been talking about this business model for a long, long time. I would say in 10 years, this is not going to be such a proof of concept or a novelty. It's going to be a standard business operation where you see when you go onto college campus, there's going to be an official banking relationship. This is the way it's going to be. Yep. So, so sorry, Jake, I, I wanna... we've, we've taken a few minutes. I think uh, yeah. we're five minutes into this. Um, <laughs> like that. Solly said he was going to have a difficult time getting through this, and I, I didn't agree 
happy with that. <laughs> yeah, because he's because he said he'd have a difficult time. I'm going to throw him an off the wall question. Sure, uh, that he was definitely probably not prepared for. <laughs> so, as, as you've you know gone through your career, especially on the college athletic side, the university side, uh, Andy likes to talk about titles a lot, and you, I'm sure you've seen your fair share of titles, let alone have have had a fair share yourself. Um, can you talk a little bit about the evolution of titles? Uh, as you kind of move throughout your career and as you're starting your career and, and kind of where the importance lies and where it doesn't matter at all. So it, and I think most people will say this when I, when I was younger, titles meant a lot to me. Right. And um, I had this vision of stair stepping my way up in my career to being an athletic director, right? That was my ultimate goal. And, and I viewed my career as that it was always going to progress in a, uh, to that pinnacle, right? It was always going to move upward. Um, as I have, uh, I get older and have more perspective and more humility um, and experience failure and the benefits of failure um, and how you can learn from those. I've uh, quickly understood that career progression means you can go up, down, sideways, around, and any, you know, that's my experience. And I've seen a lot of others, people that have taken that route where it isn't a stair-stepped career. Uh, very few people get to experience that. And, and so I guess I share that, Jake, because, Titles, um, I think, are fluid as well. And uh, I'll give an example. I was hired on it, you know, two and a half years ago at Learfield IMG College. At what? Let me backtrack. At Learfield as executive vice president. We then merged six months ago, and my executive vice president title changed to senior vice president. So I took a uh, a layered down title uh, or a step back, so to speak, but I gained some additional responsibilities with naming rights and with the NCA business. So to me, if you were to ask me what's most important is gaining more responsibilities so I can learn and work with more people. Um, and it's less about the title, if that makes sense. No, Absolutely. And, and Andy, we've had what COOs, CMOs, CEOs, C, you, you name, you can name them. Right? We've been lousy with C's. Um, <laughs> that, that, you know, there'll be another level. It's just like, you know, I'm trying to figure out what the name of the generation is after Z, right? That's a whole other, that's a whole other episode that we'll do because nobody has it but yeah the level of c's that you have in all of these places but it goes back to what Sally said before and what we've talked about and what seems so trite the name on the business card no matter how cool the logo is no matter how many championships it talks about no matter how much history if you're not as if not more proud of the name on the business card than the logo your career probably isn't going to move in the right direction. Well, and, and, and you have, Sally, how many polos with logos do you think you have? Do you, have you beaten uh, Andy, you think? 
no, not even close. Andy will always <laughs> hold that title. On, I, I know I I've said to Andy a couple, so I've added to his collection. Yeah, so Andy will always hold the most logos. Um, and I, you know, to that point, I always enjoy getting gear. And I, uh, I just recently got a Penn State wrestling shirt from from one of our general managers. I, I enjoy those, but uh, it seems like I've I've gotten rid of a lot of my Cal gear to my boys lately. So I, I don't have a lot uh, these days. So I, m- I might need to to rally up in that area. And I, in my my wardrobe now, is nothing but free swag, uh, <laughs> t-shirts and caps. As we're speaking. I'm wearing a Belmont University basketball shirt. And people go, oh, from the Bay Area. I go, like, no, from Nashville, you moron. <laughs> and, and a El Paso Chihuahua baseball hat from Alan Ledford, right? One of minor league baseball's most successful stories in the last two years. So, awesome. Um, awesome. well, uh, yeah, we, we should do a visual in the future also after we out all these names of people that we haven't necessarily deified. <laughs> Solly, we could make this, we could make this uh, a seven-part series, but it is... Um, a Friday afternoon, I think, and uh, we need to go back in the laboratory and make sure the Warriors hold the quality of the United States up to Canada on Sunday, right? That's that, absolutely. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and Sally, we really appreciate the time. Uh, again, we could have probably gone on for a couple more hours. Uh, you definitely would have struggled with that, but uh, <laughs> certainly welcome you on anytime uh, in the near future. Um, best of luck with, with the second half of 2019. I can't believe I'm, I'm saying that yeah. right now, but time, time is flying. And uh, Andy, any, any last words? I just want Sally to say hi to my friend, Mr. Rawlings, and ask him, you know, how the food is at EBITDA, the EBITDA Cafe. That's, 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 all I, that's all I got. Andy Rawlings is the best. No, I, I'll, I'll give him, I'll pass that on. And uh, no, I appreciate the time, Jake. It was very nice to meet you over this podcast. And Andy, uh, let's get together soon, brother.